This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Symphony of Profound Knowledge. And joining me is author Edward Martin Baker. Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you. This is a, a, a book of 330 pages. Your background is not specifically as an author. It's not something you started out in life to pursue. You are writing really about the writings or the inspiration of W. Edwards Deming. He was a, a leader. I have posted or put down these words to perhaps describe him. His interest, his background was music, management, and mentoring. Would that be a good descriptive? That's pretty good as a summary. And who was Edwards Deming? Edwards Deming was born in 1900. Uh, he had education in statistics and mathematics and engineering and physics. Uh, he got a Ph.D. from Yale, by the way. Hmm. Um, he came to the attention of uh, America uh, during the 1980s when, uh, as people may recall, there was an awful recession here, particularly in the automotive industry. Correct. And there was a, a hour and a half documentary on NBC called the, the uh, "If Japan Can, Why Can't We?" And about one third of that show, uh, produced by Claire Crawford Mason, was given to Deming and how he had helped the Japanese after World War II regain their economic uh, strength. So of course he began to get all these calls from uh, managers in different companies, including Ford, and. He needed to be convinced that foreign management was serious because it would involve quite a commitment. Finally, in October of 1980, a number of Ford executives visited him, and I guess they convinced him to visit Ford. He began a relationship with Ford in January 1981 when he went up to the boardroom and basically read them the riot act. He said, if you're serious about improving quality and uh, increasing sales, uh, you should change your way of thinking and, and managing and, uh, and for, it, it all started from then. For, for disclosure, you were an executive with Ford at the time. Yes, I was with Ford for 20 years. I finally ended up uh, in the quality office. And, in fact, in February of 1981, I wasn't yet in the quality office. But uh, I went to a, a meeting that Deming attended. And afterwards, I spent some time with him and told him about my interest in improving quality of, of products. And... Um, Next thing I knew, I was in the quality office. You not so, only were in the quality office, but you had and struck up a long, lifelong relationship, at least from that point forward, to, to Mr. Demings. Very fortunate, yes. Uh, I participated at Ford in some outside uh, seminars with him, 70 to my count. And um, the last few years of uh, my time at Ford... Uh, I managed his relationship with Ford, his interaction, his scheduling, and so on. But I got to spend a lot of time with him and knew him very well. How did he? How did he approach life? Obviously, he was a brilliant man. He he was uh, involved in music, and I uh, noted in reading some of your book passages that he had uh, scored the uh, a new score for the Star Spangled banner to optimize a wider range of singers. Uh, I would be probably included in that. I'm a bass singer when I sing. Uh, how How is it that he had such a wide-ranging interest, everything from the creative to the practical? Well, that's that's the genius of the man. Um, he, um, he was a talented person in so many respects. He was a music theorist, first of all. So, uh, he, I guess he sung in church, and he, he just had uh, all these uh, these influences. He appreciated, he appreciated culture very much. You know, he used to visit Japan uh, from the 1950s onward. Well, he started there in 1946. He was brought over with the General MacArthur's Reconstruction Group, and uh, he got to meet some of the Japanese, and uh, he ended up giving seminars there. And he kept being invited back. In fact, they, they did create something they call the Deming Prize. They still have it today for companies and individuals that exceed in quality. 
So he had many visits to Japan, and he, he used to write about the culture. In one of his visits, he discusses um, the beauty of the way they make noodles. And he had two pages devoted to that. Really? So he was very interested in culture and very interested in human relationships. A fascinating person, obviously. This is not really a biographical sketch necessarily of Mr. Deming, though. The subtitle on this talks about the score for leading, performing, and living in concert. You have really approached this as a business uh, 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 what's the word? Primer, I guess, would be a, a word that's used in the in the distant past. But it's a book that can be a reflective look at business and general lifestyle, uh, growing in uh, becoming more effective at what you do. Yes, thank you for that summary. It's exactly right. Uh, I think he was misunderstood in the scope of his knowledge and what he was trying to accomplish. In the 80s, he was categorized as the father of total quality management, and he really didn't like that. It was quite a narrow category. Uh, he tried to improve not only business and mainly through creating leaders, but relationships in all organizations within and without. Very much concerned with human relationships, he was a very spiritual individual, even though he was trained in engineering and physics. And... Uh, his whole aim was to get people to work together for the greater good because he saw one, if they achieved the greater good, they would be helping themselves. All through his life, his teaching really came from something he didn't, he didn't articulate until later on. It was called profound knowledge. Mm -hmm. He finally put it all together in the late 80s, and he called what he was teaching profound knowledge, which was a different mental map for, for, for understanding systems. Um, he, he wanted people in all walks of life and in management to understand that they are part of, although he didn't use the term, part of an ecology, and that everything was related, and everything you did had consequences, and you should understand those consequences. Now, Dr. Deming was a profound teacher and uh, leader. He forged a relationship with you and asked you to share that information with the world. Now, is it also true that he did not personally write any books or there no books that he penned personally? Well, first he wrote many books on sampling uh, up through the 1940s and early 50s. He was the world's leading authority on sampling. Right. But then, uh, as he began to get renowned in the, uh, in the late 70s in the U.S., uh, he began to write books. He wrote two major books uh, that were quite different from his earlier books. The books, uh, they were books for, for management, uh, were quite popular. One, the first one, which was published in 1986, was called Out of the Crisis. And then he had a second one in uh, 1993 and uh, was republished after his death in 1994. So um, he did write two major books that really were the primary influences on um, on management. Before then, there were more technical books uh, on a sampling and statistics. He was also, one of his major contributions to society was his teaching about variation and that understanding how things vary, whether it be in manufacturing or any organization, can help a person distinguish between local effects, those that just occur occasionally, and effects that are performance that are due to a system that are beyond the control of the individual. This is why he, he, he was really upset when employees were blamed for everything that went wrong, when in fact people did not, management did not have the, the knowledge, profound knowledge, to look at the system and see where the system was contributing, whether it be defective parts by a supplier or primarily a human resource management system which uh, demotivated and dismayed many employees through their systems of rating and ranking and grading. Yeah, he, he approached you and asked you to write about his teachings and about his perspective. Do you think it's because he felt you could convey that to the common man, perhaps, better than he? Well, I was shocked when he first asked me to write a book, and then he continued to ask me to write, and I kept telling him that, I would just re be repeating what I learned from him. He said, no, no, Ed, you, it would be your perspective, and people need to see things from different perspectives. 
Well, I struggled with that for many years after he passed away, and I finally came to realize that I, I had something to say that would put his teaching and put the man in a, in a different perspective, and that would be in the context of his, uh, his music. That would be the framework, the structure for his theory of profound knowledge. Incredible idea. Now, Dr. Deming was a unique person, obviously. Did you keep notes that were contemporaneous uh, with with your relationship with him, or how did you how did you put all of these uh, diversified facts and, and ideas together? I did uh, make notes. Uh, plus, I have correspondence from him. But every time he he said something I hadn't heard before, I did I did write it down. Hmm. In fact, I even have that index card from 1988 when he said, Ed, you've got to write that book. Plus, of course, <laughs> he did so many seminars, which uh, some can be accessed on the, uh, the Deming Institute, Deming.org, uh, which is now run, the executive director is his uh, grandson, Kevin. And, uh, yeah, I did that. I had a whole file of ideas, and I also combined them with, with some of the other teachings of system thinkers that people knew about, such as Russell Aikoff, who was a good friend of Dr. Deming. In reading the book, the, 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 the reader, are they going to be able to understand the basic concepts? Uh, did you approach this on a, what I'd call a very personable and simple uh, approach, or what was the underlying way that you, uh, you approached this subject? Uh, I try to make it non-technical and personable and humorous when it re reflected Dr. Deming's humor. Yeah, I try to make it quite conversational. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very digestible, I believe. Well, how would you describe it? Who's your audience? Uh, who's going to benefit the most from this? Is this something that everyday guy that uh, maybe punches a clock nine to five is going to find some nuggets of truth in there or is this management only everyone everyone every human being who is interested in their life and the way they're living and the people around them should appreciate this book you mentioned uh, people that work every day yes the, the best the, se the seminar that he used to conduct these four-day seminars and, and one time we arranged for um, him to do the seminar for union employees that work for Ford. And so we had hundreds and hundreds of people from the plants. And he would give his lecture, and then there would be, a, after two hours, there would be a short break. And people didn't move. They didn't run out the door for coffee. Mm. It turned out that he was telling them how they were living and all the problems they were facing that weren't their problems but were system problems. And he, he really moved them. He really moved them emotionally, and he told me later that that was the finest seminar he ever gave and the most meaningful one to him. He he was a, a stage performer also from, from some from some perspectives. Talk about his performance on stage, Doctor Deming. You talk about the red bead demonstration. What was that, and and how did it impact people? That was a simulation of a production process where uh, he called people up from the audience. Some would be uh, production. Uh, operators and some would be inspectors and they would sample from a, a bowl of beads and he would tell them now the red beads are def defects and the white ones are okay I want you I'm sending an objective here that you don't pick any defectives uh -huh. if you pick a defective you'll be fired well of course the process was a random sampling a mechanical sampling process and they couldn't avoid picking red beads but he would fire those who picked a certain number of red beads showing that people would be punished and fired for things they had no control over. Hmm. And he demonstrated which things were random variation and which w were in their control by developing a control chart and um, showed th through the theory of variation how we mismanage and that if somebody wanted to be a good manager of people, they must understand how things vary. And it's not just in production, it's in any organization, from health care and education, uh, you name it, it applies, because it's universal. And you've used the music analogy in order to weave all of these stories and ideas together. Yes, I, I wanted a structure that would do that. I didn't want to just repeat uh, his structure for the system of profound knowledge, which had four components, uh, 
theory of knowledge, theory of variation, knowledge of psychology, and uh, what's the fourth one? Good, good question. I don't know that I've gotten that far in the book. This is a, this is a wonderful read, though. It, it does uh, personalize and uh, humanize someone that was very uh, complex in his uh, personal and emotional makeup and also a tremendous leader. Is there any other books in the marketplace that uh, cover not only Dr. Deming but others uh, or this philosophy in the way that you have? I don't think so. I certainly referenced a lot of books and cited a lot of authors and philosophers. Uh, if there's one one scholar, management consultant that I would recommend would be the late Dr. Russell Acoff. He's a genius. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend time with him both at Ford and and in, in venues outside of Ford. Uh, I would certainly recommend reading Russell Acoff's work. What is it about Dr. Deming's work that you feel makes it relevant today again his his philosophy deals with how we relate to each other in organizations and in life he was very much concerned not only with the material success of organizations but with the spiritual success uh, he was a very spiritual man a religious man who presented a way of living that is timeless in other words people would say well you know he was popular in the 1980s and uh, he's no longer relevant but he's more relevant today, given the economic situation the world is facing, than he was in 1980. People like Deming don't come along very often. There's something for everyone. So even though he was born in 1900 and uh, passed away, I guess, in the late 80s or early 90s, you obviously feel his contribution remains timeless. Yeah, absolutely. We know there are philosophers that lived hundreds of years ago and actually religious leaders that we still get tremendous knowledge from. And I think he was one of those. For anyone that is in business or wants to be in business and be successful in life, this is a book that they should get. The title, again, is The Symphony of Profound Knowledge, W. Edwards Deming's score for leading, performing, and living in concert. You've also described him as a moral philosopher, a prophet, virtuoso, and sage with profound insights into the management, organizations, and the art of leadership and living. That's a mouthful, but it also does describe your book beautifully. 330 pages, sir. Where can my listeners get a copy of this through amazon or any other online bookstore and uh, through the deming institute deming.org or through aileron I, I should mention of course that aileron whose chairman is clay mateel whose president is joni fetters who he founded aileron in 1996 to educate pretty much owners of private companies and he created this institute which is now outside of dayton ohio it's a magnificent campus and Clay appreciated Deming's teaching and is trying to include his teaching not only in the way he manages Aileron, but in what he teaches the people that come to learn from Aileron. It wouldn't have gotten done if they didn't uh, provide that support. So um, I very much appreciated their help. Book could be ordered through Aileron. Also. Through Aileron. And that is spelled A-I-L-E-R-O-N for those who are doing a search online. Thank yeah. you, sir, for joining me and uh, sharing the story of Dr. Deming and your work that you have uh, completed, the title of which is The Symphony of Profound Knowledge. They can also do a search under your name, Edward Martin Baker, the author, and find out about this and other works that you may uh, pen in the future. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate my, that. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. 
Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book, Red Sunset Drive, a ghost and a cop series. And joining me from near Des Moines, Iowa, is author Jan Walters. Thank you for joining me today, Jan. Thanks, Jay, for having me on your show. Well, this is uh, this is exciting because we have visited before, and you are becoming a, um, a well recognized author. At least you will, if not by by now, in the near future, because this is the second in a series of a ghost and a cop series. Your main characters have stayed the same pretty much. Brett, detective detective Brett O'Shea, is your primary character. This one titled Red Red Sunset Drive. Where is it located? Where is the story set? Uh, all the stories in the series uh, are set in Des Moines, Iowa. That has a uh, significance for you because you live in the area also, but your family history goes back to the 1800s as far as uh, being involved in uh, in uh, police uh, work, police duty. Correct, yeah. Um, my great-great-grandfather uh, was on the police department in the late 1800s. And my great-grandfather was uh, chief of detectives, chief of police in the 1940s and 50s. And then my husband served, and now my son is currently serving. That's incredible. The stories that they told you on a personal level, uh, how far back do you remember hearing the first story, or did they ever share any of their work with you? Well, when I was growing up, uh, my grandmother... Uh, was the one that really told me lots of stories about her father, who was the chief of detectives back in the 40s. And uh, uh, their their last name was Brophy, um, you know, strong Irish family. And um, my great-grandfather uh, was really uh, against uh, alcohol, you know, drinking. And so when uh, Prohibition was in effect he used to enjoy going around the city and breaking up stills and <laughs> he was a popular <laughs> guy about <I> mm. alcohol <laughs> he was a popular popular fellow <laughs> um, yeah he was, i'm sure he was not popular <laughs> now did did any of the uh, scary parts of those stories that your grandmother relayed to you or were there any that she shared other than the fact that your grandfather was a kind of a character yeah um the basis of the ghost was really kind of based off my great-grandfather. Uh, my great-grandfather um, did not abide by the rules a whole lot. He mm. was very independent, and he was suspended from the police department several times. Oops. And he even picketed the Des Moines Police Department, objecting to one suspension. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you mean he he served them a a ticket, like a parking ticket or something of that nature, or something else? No, he picketed with a sign marching around the sidewalk outside the police department. I have, I was was thinking of Barney Fife uh, ticketing ticketing someone in Mayberry uh, with a similar storyline, except I didn't hear it correctly, so thank you for correcting that for me. The story, Red Sunset Drive, is that also located or, or placed in Des Moines? It is. It is. And the reason it's set in Des Moines is our protagonist, Brett O'Shea, is a Des Moines police officer. The story itself, does it does it have a basis in reality, or are you just one of those creatives that can come up with all kinds of uh, twists and turns that will keep the reader occupied? Well, there are numerous scenes in here... Um, that are based on real life uh, adventures, scenarios that police officers have to deal with. Um, talking about you know murder scenes or the type of humor that police officers sometimes uh, adopt to in order to cope with the violence or the horrific scene that they have to deal with. Sure. So. 
in in reading the book, if someone from the Des Moines area were to read your book, are they going to pick up on anything specific, do you think? Or have you camouflaged it sufficiently that, uh, as they said in Dragnet, the uh, names have been changed to protect the innocent? Yeah. They will recognize um, some of the... um Oh, chase scenes when I talk about specific streets or parts of town. I reference a uh, bar in here where one of our new characters, uh, Dragos, um, who is a vampire, he is basically from the 1830s. He's basically a, a man that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And... Um, He's kind of under the influence of a older nobleman who basically is a vampire. Hmm. And when Dragos wakes up, he's in the current century in Des Moines, Iowa, has no idea how he got here, what's wrong with him. And he believes that this need for blood is basically a curse of a witch. Well, unfortunately, he does wake up around Halloween in Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, um, of course, spots a witch walking down the street toward a very popular nightclub here in the Des Moines area. And then it kind of takes off from there. So that's one of the characters you changed the name, but it's based on a real character. Um, Dragos no. is um, a fictional character. Okay, I'll let you have that one. All righty. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know you had you have uh, so so much imagination and uh, integrity in your writing. You have over four hundred pages in this particular edition. Uh, your last, your first novel was released not that long ago. How long did it take to complete the Red Sunset Drive? This one took me, mm, gosh, a little a little over a year just to finish the writing, and um, what I wanted to do differently in this book over compared to York Street was to get in the head of the characters a little bit more so the readers could kind of enjoy or go through the thought process with our two key protagonists, Michael and Brett, as well as the antagonist, uh, Victor. So there are a few more romantic scenes in this book as well, mm-hmm. and um, those were based on some of the comments from you know the previous readers and uh, the fans that follow the series. So I'm I'm very excited for this book. It was um, given the Rising Star Award from iUniverse. Phenomenal, and um, I think it really will provide a well-rounded set of emotions for the readers. I mean, you should be able to, you know, laugh, cry, be scared, even cheer in certain parts, so... Well, super. You, you. If if the reader or the listener were to look at your photo on the back of the uh, of the book, you would get the impression that you are a mild mannered lady. How would you? Uh, how did you come up with the violence and the other exciting scenes in the book? Was that a stretch for you, or do you just have one of those vivid imaginations because you live in a very unique part of the world? I think. Just because, you know, the horrific things maybe you see on TV or the news and the read about in the paper, you can take those types of real-life scenarios and take them a step further and delve into the paranormal aspect Mm -hmm. to even make things maybe even a little bit edgier a little bit more exciting and um i yeah people when they read this and you know there are some very explicit murder scenes and things that um you know people might be a little squeamish about but um i think it's a well-balanced book between those dark suspenseful scenes as well as the interaction between the characters and the various subplots that are in the book. Now, the under, underlying premise is unique in that the young detective is working with whom? 
The um, young detective continues to work with his ghostly great-grandfather, Michael. And the twist with this book is um, Brett meets Dragos, the one of the vampires, and kind of befriends him. And um, they develop this very unique relationship and end up working together to try to catch the vampires that are murdering female prostitutes in the city. You've mentioned you're getting feedback from your first book that has inspired and given you some direction on Red Sunset Drive. What mm-hmm. is the general makeup of your audience? Is is it uh, balanced 50-50 with male-female, younger, older? How would you describe them? You know, it really is balanced. Um, I have readers, you know, in the 60s to 80 group. But yet, when I go to book festivals and book signings, I have a lot of millennials and um, Gen Xers that will come up because they really like the paranormal aspect with the mystery and the suspense. Well, most mystery, so, most mystery and suspense writers have a deep-seated wish below the surface that maybe a Hollywood producer might find this story and adapt it to the screen. Do you think that is something that you would hope to see in the future or might happen? I would, yes. I am definitely pursuing that angle and um, to help that goal along I recently hired a uh, Iowa film company Hmm. who produced a book trailer for York Street. And um, a lot of book trailers will have, um, oh, music and text, you know, a lot of images. Um, In my book trailer, we hired uh, Iowa actors to portray Brett O'Shea, uh, Michael and the killer in York Street. And so we they acted out a couple of key scenes as well as, you know, we kind of then flashed through some very suspenseful shots, um, hope, hopefully piquing people's interest of what else the book encompasses. Yes, and you use the word slashed through. I don't know if that's... Um what, what, maybe that's something that's subliminal in your your thinking. <laughs> what, what is the most, yeah, what's the most exciting scene in in this uh, edition, Red Sunset Drive? Oh my goodness, um, there are several, but um, I guess one of my favorite scenes that I really enjoyed writing is when Drago's um, woke up kind of uh, in a cave down by the Des Moines River, and he is adventuring out. It's, you know, Halloween night, and um, he realizes, you know, something is seriously wrong with him, and he really does believe, because of the time period he was born in, that he was bewitched, and his, that whole scene where he comes face-to-face with the current world you know and everything that just basically confuses him because he's never seen before and then that is his first meeting with Brett O'Shea and um, a female private investigator who also plays a key role in this new book that sounds like a wonderful scene for a movie trailer should you ever produce a movie uh, keep me in mind i i can be a background something or other i can eat the food and and uh, enjoy the atmosphere. I'll do something. Anyway, the, okay. <laughs> this this book is titled Red Sunset Drive, a ghost and a cop series. My guest author, Jan Walters. Uh, Jan, you mentioned York Street trailer is out there, so if they do a search under Jan Walters, they should be able to locate mm-hmm. that and also your books. Is that correct? That's correct. My website is www.authorjanwalters.com. 
com, and the book trailer is there as well as information on all the other books that have been published so far. Exciting. And they can also find this book at Amazon and other major booksellers by requesting it by your name, Jan Walters, and find out about uh, the other books you have produced. Again, the title is Red Sunset Drive, A Ghost and a cop series. Thank you for joining me today, Jan, and sharing your story, and best of luck. I see the future, and the future looks bright for you. Thank you for joining me and sharing your story. Well, thank you very much, Jay. I uh, really look forward to visiting with you. Fantastic. I'm certain that in the near future, we'll have an opportunity to visit again and talk about the next installment in a ghost and a cop series. Thanks again, Jan, for joining me today. Okay, thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight... Exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, Customer Karma. Why stop at a one-night stand when you can have a lifetime relationship with your customers? And the author is Arjun Sen, and Arjun joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Arjun. Hi. Good morning, Steve. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to have you with us. Now, Customer Karma, I think we all know have somewhat of a feeling about karma, but I think it would be really good for you, from your point of view, to define it from your point of view. What is good karma? You know, my definition of karma comes from learnings from my grandma. She would tell me stories growing up, and one of the things she would instill in me is karma is all about what you do. It's all about the focus on the word is about action. And based on what you do, you get reaction back. So in some ways, it is very similar to Newton's third law of physics, which talks about every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But the only difference in the concept of karma is causality, which is you need to do great karma to your customers or in life, not because you expect the results, but just because it is the right thing to do. And by doing the right thing, good and right things happen. Absolutely. And you put yourself in the best position to get results back. I like what you say. Good karma is cultivated by heartfelt good action. So people will really feel that sincerity from you. Totally, absolutely. And that's one of the things which are very important is if you and I were in a business dealing, for me to truly understand what Steve needs is incredibly important. And that's the reason for me to engage from my heart. Without that, it would become giving you service level one with option two mechanically, which does not touch you. So what you talked about is very important is good karma from the heart. Good karma from from the heart. And I think we can all relate on a real basic level We're talking about relationships. It doesn't matter whether it's business, family, friendship, uh, just the meeting that new person uh, 
you know, in a, in a, a store or at a restaurant or in a business setting, it's all about how we treat others. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about this, I guess one thing, of this real-life relationship, customer relationship. You can't put business relationships away in some kind of a business box. It's a real-life relationship, as you emphasize. So tell us about the importance of first impression. So to me, just like if you meet a person, the same way with a business, when a customer comes in, the first instant the customer decides whether this relationship or their the brand has any connection or availability with the person. So that is incredibly important to manage because this happens spontaneously from deep inside. The same way in a date, the first impression, at the end of the first impression, you put the person in one of three buckets. One, what am I doing here? versus, wow, I see amazing potential, versus, I don't know, let's see how it goes. So the first impression is a great place to start. So it is a process. It needs to be carefully not only thought through, but felt through. That's what I'm hearing from you. Again, it all comes from feelings from the heart. Absolutely. You've written your book in a corporate language that we can relate to. Now, there's many... Uh, business books out there, and often, as you put it, they're really not relatable to what you're going through. So you've got a, a vast background. Tell us a little bit about your background so we can better understand how you can understand what we might go through. Yes, so to me, in the corporate world, I have been in the restaurant industry where every experience is created for every guest one guest at a time, started at Pizza Hut, then went to Boston Market, then Einstein Bagels, and then was at Papa John's. And after that, when I started corporate uh, consulting with Corporate World, I worked with a lot of hospitality, retail, and restaurants. And in every case, what I learned is something that you related to earlier was when we focus on customer relations, we always started with customers. But over time, what I realized is the relationship and the commonality about relationships, whether it is customers or human relationships every day, is similar. And once you get relationships, then it's very easy to see what you would do in the corporate world. And if I may give one quick example, once you see the relationship, if you were single, Steve, for a second, would you put an ad in a dating site with your picture with a coupon on it, go out <laughs> with me over the next two weeks and I buy you a drink with a fine print up to $6. <laughs> so if you won't do that in a relationship, why are we trying to buy customer business in, in our transactions with these short-term gimmicks which does not build the long-term relationship. So it's like you just pointed out in the restaurant world, uh, every time a new customer walks through, that's a new person, a very unique individual, and they need to be treated that way. Absolutely. So to me, I look at marketing is very simple. It is an invitation from the heart. And if marketing is an invitation, and let's say if my family invited Steve, your family to our place, I could then greet you in one of two reactions. One is, wow, Steve, buddy, I can't believe you made it so excited. Or the other reaction could be, really? You're back again? I can't believe it. So to me, the whole thing goes with connection from the heart and how do you respond? Because that's what the customer cares about. So it's about customer satisfaction. Yes, it is. What's the best way then to develop this long-term relationship when you're going to avoid these gimmicks, as you pointed out? What is the best way for having this continual relationship that literally is going to bring back the customer? And, of course, the bottom line, as you 
pointed out, and I think we all understand this, it's about the cash register ringing. Absolutely. You got it right. At the end, it's all about the cash register, how many times you open and how much money you put in. And if you start right there, the valuation of a customer makes us all change our perspective. If I had a coffee shop and you came in and asked for a free refill, and on the board it says $2 for a refill, I will hesitate giving you the refill. But on the other side, if I right away sit, pause for a second, and realize Steve comes twice a week, every time spends you know approximately $10, which is $20 a week, approximately $1,000 a year, which is $5,000 a year, the light bulb goes on. I realize my whole business success depends on you, Steve, which means instead of now making you look at the board which says refills are $2, I ask you to sit down by saying, Steve, would you just sit down for a second? I'll brew a fresh pot of coffee and bring it to you with the condiments. Because I really think that whole attitude shift changes. And I think once you feel it, you don't need user manual or anything else. You really need to put one customer at a time and business becomes incredibly successful. So you are using real life business scenarios to point out how to do this in your book. Absolutely. And to me, that's the part about the book is you would not find 23 laws of customer satisfaction because you know those rules and laws don't work. The book is more about you calling your corporate buddy who shares his success and failure stories. And I emphasize failures are equally important from success. So each person who reads the book will have their own takeaway on how to use it in their world. So there's no one solution, but I'm just sharing my experiences from different corporate experiences. Well, I want to read a couple of of, of folks who have read your book and have given you uh, quite a great review. One said, Arjun has a brilliantly simple way of looking at a business through the eyes of its customers. If more brands could do the same, true customer loyalty would be less elusive. That is, uh, I think, eye-opening, if you (laughs) pardon me, but through the eyes of its customers. That's the way we have to look at our business. Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm really flattered with the review. And if I take everything I've talked about in the book, to me, it's all about one reader. If one reader likes it and feels that he or she got value from the book and takes time to write this review, I really think, you know, the journey I started, I have accomplished. And I'm really fortunate and grateful that at least one person feels this way. And that, I think, is the power in every business, is one person at a time giving them what they need of actual true value that connects to them. Another reviewer said, after after reading Customer Karma, you will find it impossible to think about your customer interactions in the same old ways. It's more about, it's much more than... Just the pleasant hello and uh, how's everything and is everything uh, well with your product that we've shared with you? It's it's really, I guess it's a, as you've put it already, it's not a formula. It's a real life interaction with sincerity coming from the heart. I, I guess that's the best way, as we've already pointed out. How else can you talk about it? Absolutely. And that's the part, if you look at, is... In a relationship, no two days are the same, which means if you are living a relationship with your significant other with a user manual, it just doesn't work. This is not a train that goes online. It just flies anywhere and everywhere. There are everyday challenges, and that's the part where the reflection from the heart comes out. And the second thing, if I point out to this particular review, what the person reflected so well is once you get the commonality between relationships, and when I told you about the example of using a coupon in dating, you were amused because, you know, we don't do that. 
So I really think that is the power is once each person in our own way get the parallel of relationships, I really feel this would be life-changing for people because they cannot go back to the old way of customer service using a user manual. And as you point out, your book will not give the reader one road map for all situation. Instead, it is sure to trigger thoughts on what you can do differently. So that is your ultimate goal, is to help people get out of their comfort zone and start looking at customers in a much more sincere, heartfelt way. And absolutely. And I have fun doing it because, think, if you, when you read the review of the two you know, individuals who, it just hit, you know, hit, hit me right deep in my heart. I just felt something amazing. And that is so addictive. So to me, I think that's exactly what each person, once they go a little bit outside their regular routine jobs and touch customers' lives, first of all, the values of the reward and the returns that they would get is immense. But more importantly, it just adds excitement and meaning to jobs, which I don't think exist in a routine, you know, just coming in, open a cash register, follow schedule A, B, C, D. It just doesn't, it's not there in that particular of a mechanical robot-like job. The title of the book, Customer Karma. We've been talking to the author, Arjun Sen. Arjun, what's the best way to get your book? You can get the book at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's also available at iTunes or anywhere you can get uh, digital copies of the book. You can also check the website of the book, Customer Karma, Karma with a K, customerkarma.org. Customerkarma.org. Well, thank you so much, Arjun, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve, for having me on the show. I truly appreciate this. You have a great day. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.